0: hey guys welcome to the neglected podcast
1: this podcast is not a change of mind but to invite you into somebody else's narrative this is a podcast to give a voice to the neglected it is also an opportunity for all of us to engage
0: hi welcome to the neglected podcast i am your host javanna javis and i'm here with a wonderful guest naomi haven say hi to the listeners
1: hey everybody thanks for having me yeah so
0: i'm very excited to talk to you um You had one of your friends who had been on here suggest that you come on. And so we talked over the phone, and I'm really excited about you sharing your story with everyone. And I am very thankful always when people are willing to share their journeys and what they've been through. Um, So I'm really looking forward to talking with you more today.
1: Well, thanks. Um, And I appreciate you letting me do this. And as I've told you, you know, this is God's story through me. And so wherever he sends me to share that story, I'm open to it. Well,
0: great. So let's go ahead and get started with our conversation. So Naomi, tell me a little bit about you, where you're from, um, what it was like growing up for you.
1: Okay. Well, um, I grew up in the military. And I started in Germany, Mm -hmm. and it happened to be just before the wall went up. My dad was stationed over there, and I was born over there. And then we came back to the United States when I was two years old. And um, about that time, my mom got pregnant with my sister Sharon. And she had minor oral surgery during the first trimester, which is the first three months. Mm -hmm. And the the dentist told her that um, the Novocaine or whatever the numbing agent at that time was wouldn't affect my sister. Uh, um, But it did. And my sister was born with no anal opening and only one kidney. And no anal opening means that she could not um she could not expose of the toxins in her body properly and when she was 4 I mean when I was 4 she only lived for 22 months when I was 4 she died um you know there's a there's a story in that but basically I grew up in the military um besides Sharon I have two other siblings
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that are younger than me um and um we had both of my parents are christians they're pretty much first generation christians and um pretty much a normal military life um household we lived in japan also when neil armstrong was stepped foot on the moon that's where we were and uh, i would not trade it for anything Um, my i met my husband and two years later after we got married He joined the military. So besides being a military brat, I'm now a retired military spouse. And um, again, I would not trade my life for anything. So um, went to public school and private school. Uh, um, Just a lot of different, I initially, I always, because of my sister Sharon, wanted to be a nurse. Mm Um and went off to college. We my parents took time off of work to drive from Denver all the way to Pensacola, Florida, because there was a Christian college down there that did my style of learning, mm-hmm. a semester of books and a semester hands on. Nice. And that's my style. Mm-hmm. But nobody told me until I got on campus. And like I say, my parents took time off of work, had my two siblings and a younger cousin with us, and drove all the way from Denver to Pensacola, got there and registered, and then was told that my grades in high school weren't good enough to even take one class towards the nursing degree that I I had dreamed about for so long. And they put me in a business program, which was not me. Yeah, just was not me, so I left halfway through the semester, and um, I realize now that that's not the nursing arena that God wanted me in. Mm-hmm. He had something totally different. Yeah. But, um, you know, growing up, um, yeah, that situation with my sister, um, they thought that a child my age, and at that time I was four when she died, they thought a child my age could not handle a funeral. So I was put in the nursery with my aunt, my mm-hmm. mom's sister, who I can remember hating for a while, but somehow I gave that up. And yeah. <laughs> I no longer have that hatred for her, you know. But, but it has left me with a lot of questions and a lot of insecurities and feeling like, what's wrong with me?
2: Yeah
1: um and i'm i'm now coming to terms with those and understanding a lot of it and when you you know i don't remember um really talking about my sister
2: mm-hmm. that
1: much afterwards after she died and i really don't remember pictures being on the wall um we did visit her her gravesite periodically whenever we were in town, and that's in Topeka, Kansas. So whenever we would we were in town, my mom, dad, and I would go and visit her gravesite. So I do remember doing that a couple of times, but other than that, I don't remember talking about her. And it's just been recently um, I had stories in my mind about what happened to her. Yeah. And recently, I found different stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been told different stories, so I'm, you know, still kind of up in the air about some of that. But yeah, um, that and then um, starting school. You want me to just keep going? No, you're fine. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> with
0: um, your your what you mentioned is that looking back, you're recognizing that maybe you didn't have the full picture around what happened to your sister?
1: Right, right, yeah. I'd always had this idea in my head that she died at home. Mm. And I thought I had been told that she had been fussy during the night. And my mom got up and just spanked her and she settled down and the next morning she was dead. Um, And then I find out just recently that she spent most of her 22 months in the hospital. I got you. And she mm-hmm. died in the hospital. So I'm like, okay. Yeah. Which story do I believe? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'm not sure where I got the original idea, mm-hmm. but the second idea came from my mother. Yeah. Who um you know, that's what she says. So I guess that's what I have to go with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still a little bit, you know, unsure about that, but yeah. No, and that can be
0: something is this can be difficult to process when you get new information especially if that's a story that you've had with you right to now have this new information but it does sound like growing up for you especially around your sister's death there wasn't a whole lot of conversations around it so how did you process like her death
1: that's a good question i can remember coming home after the funeral. And just falling back on my bed, pretending I was dead Mm. and wishing that I was so that I could be with her. Yeah. Um, Then, throughout the years growing up, I can remember just going outside and maybe I just needed to get away from whatever was going on and just going up and looking up into heaven and just looking for um, Jesus to return so that I could go and be reunited with her. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, I remember doing that a lot growing up. Yeah. Um, But as an adult, I've just come to, you know, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's what happened. And you... You never get over it, but you learn how to move forward with it. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people say, well, you need to get over that.
2: Mm.
1: Well, obviously, you've not been in my shoes. Yeah. You know, you learn to walk through it, and you learn to um, move forward. Otherwise, you basically die yourself. Yeah. So I've had to do that, you know, and... um Started having conversations, serious conversations and digging Mm -hmm. um, about five years ago, something like that, you know, just to figure out what was going on, um, what the true story was and stuff like that. Um, Something popped into my head just now and I can't remember (laughs) what it is, but it'll maybe come back. Yeah, Uh, but um, yeah, just, you know. Realizing that you can't you can't stay stuck, yeah,
0: no, I think mm-hmm. that that's a great point of of there is like a level of acceptance when it comes to loss mm-hmm. and not necessarily accepting that it's okay and we're not like happy that it happened, but there is a point where you accept and then you learn how to adjust right, and so I think right. that's a great point that you made there, and right, so you were mentioning that growing up, you moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um and so what was school like for you being in the military and living in so many different places what was your school life like
1: My parents made it um a goal to make everything exciting and we always got involved with the community
2: mm-hmm.
1: even in Ger- Germany and even in Japan I can remember hosting three Japanese men um for conversational English To help them with their English. And we got to know them pretty well. My parents kept up with the one, Mr. Nabasan, um, for, goodness, probably about 30 years. And then we quit hearing from him. So we Mm -hmm. assumed that maybe he died or something. But they they all three worked at a publishing company. Mm -hmm. And um, they had a... Resort the company had a resort at Mount Fuji So they took um, my family to Mount Fuji for a weekend or something like that You know, and we got to experience that Uh, we got to experience Japanese weddings because Mm of them Um, the one um, Inaba-san his daughter um, had a birthday I forget, she was like six years old or something like that. Mm -hmm. And my mom baked cakes, and she had one that was a Barbie doll. And she put the Barbie inside of it and then made the um, dress on the outside. So she did that for the the daughter's birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. And the daughter did not want to cut into it and eat it yeah they had to put a little shrine up for a little while yeah. oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> but it's not something at least at that time it was not something that they did in japan you know mm-hmm. so it was like oh wow type of thing and um so so yeah that was that was a lot of fun like I say we got we we didn't stick to ourselves yeah we got involved everywhere we went even as a military spouse got involved but um, it was not easy for me to make friends mm-hmm. um, and when I Right after my sister died, then um, we lived in a, in a house that had a big picture window. Mm-hmm. And the couch was right there by the window. And it was the path that the kids would take to go to school. And as a child of, what, four,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, I got excited. Mommy, Mommy, look at The kids are walking to school. Whatever mm-hmm. I said, you know, I can, just, I can remember being on the couch and getting excited. And so they thought that that meant I was ready for school. Gotcha, yeah. And my birthday is the first of September, so I fell right into that, you know, where um, I guess when I was five, they put me in. But emotionally, I was not ready. Yeah. So I struggled, and um, it was not easy. Like I say, they put me in school, um, I guess at five, in kindergarten and um just really struggled emotionally and um let me see here then I've had situations too we moved to Japan when Mm -hmm. I went into the third grade and I had a teacher that was um the grandmother type is what I remember her as and um my parents would come in for teacher conferences and wonder where my homework was. Yeah, it was all stuck underneath my seat. Mm. I didn't take it home. I didn't do anything with it, you know and And um, then the very next year, in fourth grade, I had a single teacher. And I'd gotten used to not doing anything the year mm. before, and she was total opposite. Yeah. And she would hold me after school unannounced. And she would grab my cheeks like this and put my um put her face right up to my face and just grit her teeth and yell at me like crazy. And I was a very sensitive child. Yeah. So I can remember crying. But you know at that time parents thought that the teachers knew everything and had mm. all the authority. So um, I only remember, I only really, really remember that happening once. I don't know if it happened more. I don't remember telling my parents because of the thought process that, you know, teachers knew best. Yeah. So I just left it at that. And then the next year, um, in sixth grade, the teacher was the wife of a doctor. And she had a skeleton hanging in the corner of the classroom. And from my sister's death all the way up until then, I was terrified of death. Yeah. But that year, that teacher got me so interested in science and I was able to look at that skeleton without being afraid. Yeah. And, you know, understanding over fear. Mm-hmm. She helped me to understand what the body was all about and got me so excited about it and just really enjoyed it and stuff, you know. Um, let me see here. And then we moved to Mississippi. So seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, we were in Mississippi.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Um, I did, I did okay, 7th and 8th grade. In the ninth grade, um, private school was becoming real popular.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So my parents pulled me and my brother out at that time, out of the public school and put us into a private school, which was what's called ACE, Accelerated Christian Education. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar Mm-mm. with it, but it's where each child sits. Um, they have their own little cubicle. And they have packets of information. And you read, 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 read. And then you take a test. Read, 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 read. Take a test, you know. Well, my brother is very accelerated Mm -hmm. at education. And he went through three months worth of those packets in one week. Oh, wow. And they told him that he was going too fast and he needed to slow down. Mm. I think basically what it was was that they were not They didn't have enough inventory. Yeah.
0: It's like you are eating away our inventory. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly.
1: So my parents pulled him out and put him back in the public school. Mm -hmm. And um, I stayed for that year. And um, I basically tell people that that was my year off. Yeah. And my year to catch up emotionally,
2: mm.
1: and that was that was one of those times when I can remember going outside and looking up to heaven, and wishing that Jesus would come back so I could be reunited with my sister. Yeah, because um, there was a lot of spiritual abuse and stuff like that going on in that school and stuff, you know. And then my parents. Um, the next year, I was back in public school for not for my second. Europe ninth grade, <laughs> yeah, and um, I really, I really blossomed, started blossoming that year, um, and really started, yeah, enjoying life a little bit more. Still mm-hmm. was not a good student. Yeah. Um, school was my worst subject. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad retired from the military, and we moved um, to Denver. Mm -hmm. because he was going to go to Bible college. And again, um, my parents put us in, me and my siblings, into private school. And this time it was uh, all the teachers were from Bob Jones University or from Tennessee Temple. Mm -hmm. And um, if you're familiar with either one of those, they are King James only people and... At that time, um, girls could get in trouble if they wore pants. It yeah. was dresses only and stuff like that, you know. So, um, and I ended up being in a history class and a Bible class the very first year, which was 10th grade, with the same teacher who was the hardest teacher in the mm-hmm. whole school. And here's an example, when you, did, when you did a Bible test and there were um, verses that you needed to do, um, that you needed to write for the test, he wanted it to be King James Version only and he wanted exact punctuation. Oh, punctuation. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no. And I am yeah. like, um, I don't memorize just to memorize. Now, I'm a very musical person, Mm -hmm. and if you put it to music, I have no problem at all. Yeah. But just to memorize, just to pass a test, and I'd already shown that I'm a good student, Mm -hmm. just not a good test taker. Yeah, and I think a lot of it's that reason. You know, I can retain the information, but I just get nervous when it comes to a test. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, but then too, like I say, with him and on history, there was a lot of history dates that he wanted us to remember. Well, I can if if you get me involved in reenacting, mm-hmm. I can tell you all kinds of stuff about it but just to read it and try to memorize it just so i can pass a test yeah 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 so um the next year 10th grade they let me um take a break from him but of course 12th grade in order to graduate i had to go back on top of all my other classes repeat those two classes (laughs) and I think he felt sorry for me and curved my grade because I believe that's the only way I graduated. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and then, like I say, I went off to college, but nobody told me
3: that Uh, my grades,
1: you know, I was basically D average, Mm -hmm. and nobody told me that they had to be. A's yeah <laughs> you know? I don't remember ever getting an A in school <laughs> yeah. so, so like what was it like for you to have
0: is so you, you the way you're describing school for you is that school wasn't like your thing and it sounds like more that the teaching style like that memorization for the test wasn't really like the way you learned um, and the way you're describing that you learned is a lot of like musical, but then tactile, like being able to do it. Right. And so how was that for you? Like in terms of like how you felt about yourself?
1: Um, I think it played into the, um, feelings of um, lack of self-esteem and not being picked in elementary school when we would be at PE and teams had to be picked. Um, For one thing, I've always been a small person, okay? Hello, I've always been small. (laughs) I can remember um, when I was about 19 being in an elevator and some guy was in the elevator and looked down at my feet and he says, my, you have small feet. (laughs) And I go, well, if you haven't noticed, <laughs> a tidy person. they kind of go with the rest yeah. of me. You know? And he goes, oh, oh, yeah, you're right. And I will tell the audience, yes, I can go into the children's section, and they have cuter shoes anyway. They do. <laughs> and I can wear them. <laughs> and I'm proud of it, okay? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, getting put on um, – getting chosen for a team, they just assumed that I couldn't do anything, and so I was put on teams by default by the teacher,
3: Mm.
1: by the PE teacher, whoever, you know, so that was kind of, eh, not real, not real uplifting, uplifting. Um, I do remember being really excited in 12th grade because, and I can't do it now, but um, (laughs) the chin-up bars, Mm. Mm -hmm. I could hold myself, my chin above the bar at least three inches, and my knees bent up, and I could hang for 15 minutes. Nobody else could do that. So I was pretty proud of myself for that part, you know, Mm and, and I can see that, you know, there have been times when I really dealt with self-esteem issues, Mm -hmm. but that I can see times too, when I helped, when I, um, when I feel like I just moved forward anyway and I had a decent self-esteem, not, not the best, you know, I was not the most popular kid, um, I was shocked my senior year that I actually got picked for one of the special pictures in the yearbook. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was called the tall and short of it.
3: Yeah. And guess
1: who got the short? <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I had to stand on a. Um, on a ledge in order to even come up to the shoulder of the guy that was the tall of it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then something that, um, something that really spoke to me too was, um, between 11th grade and 12th grade. And I've got the pictures here um, between 11th grade, 11th grade, I had long hair and glasses. And um, some reason, I think I saw a friend whose mother cut hair, and mm-hmm. um, she had it cut short, similar to what I've got now. And um, I just thought, wow, that looks really cute. Yeah. And so I had her cut my hair, and I got contacts. And it was amazing like night and day, the reaction and the friendships mm. that all of a sudden formed yeah. just over that, you know. And, and I've had, I'm still in contact with several of my classmates from high school. And I've had several of them tell me that their parents asked, Is there a new girl in school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but that just kind of, um, and I'm not bad mouthing any of them yeah. because we are we are really good friends now, um, and we've all grown up, you mm-hmm. know. But it just tells me at that time how how mean we can be to each other, you know,
3: yeah.
1: and how looks looks play a lot of a lot a big role in what we think of people. And I have to say. I admit that I've been um, I'm not the best at that either,
2: yeah you know,
1: but I'm working on it and I have you know I've come to realize too that my sister was basically a special needs child yeah and so um i I don't have any problems when I've been at churches. I can remember one year I was teaching Sunday school for the little 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 kids
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I had like three Down syndrome kids. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, God, why did you do this to me? (laughs) You know, but I now realize that, hey, you know what? My sister was special needs
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and special needs kids are just so um, full of life. Yeah. And they can teach you so much, Mm -hmm. you know, and they don't care who you are as as long as you're not abusing them. Yeah. You know, they have so much love in their heart and stuff. And we really need to learn from that.
0: Yeah. No, I so I work with in a clinic. And I I think that all the time with my my kiddos on the autism spectrum of just how happy they are. And like when they happy scream, I'm like, I don't want to be that happy. Like, it's just like that was it's just a dinosaur. But you're like happy screaming right now. So I completely relate to what you're saying there. And just even what you mentioned about looks like. You mentioned that, like, you're noticing, like, as you look back and then even in that moment, just having that recognition of, like, that difference between glasses, long hair and then contacts, short hair. Do you still see that happening now that looks like play a really big role? Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do. Um, you know, on the different different areas that I go, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I see that happening a lot. Mm -hmm. No,
0: and that's, and that can be hard too, because that can have an impact on on self esteem and the way people feel about themselves and feeling like whether they matter or not. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: I can remember about two years ago meeting a guy, and I don't remember what his um, issue was, but his hips were not working properly, so they did not support his legs. And he was on um, the crutches that used to be popular for polio mm-hmm. that have a little handle here, yeah, you gotcha. know, and mm-hmm. they're their metal. He was using those. And my husband and I try and make an effort to befriend those people, and he was in tears because he was in a church, but he didn't feel like anybody cared about him. Yeah. You know, so we we tried to um, befriend him and um, not sure what happened to him because we lost contact after a little bit. But, um, you know, that's what we try to do. And my husband is very drawn, very drawn to people with special needs and the outcast because he himself has gone through some of his own issues, you know, of um, being neglected and and, um, being... The outcast, basically. Yeah. No. So,
0: yeah. No, and I love that, that you said that. And I think that that when you've experienced being left out, just like some aspects of your story of not being picked, mm-hmm. of of not having a whole lot of friends, of of struggling with school, I think that it does kind of open your eyes more to those who maybe they are smiling and maybe they seem like they're fine. But then, like, when you get to know them, then you get to see how deep the pain is. And I think that you do have eyes to see it more clearly. Yes. Especially when you've experienced pain or experienced being looked over.
1: Right. And my husband and I feel like we have, God's given us that kind of uh, um, intuition mm-hmm. and um my husband, he will tell you that he's an introvert, but it's no, it's not true. Ask anybody who knows him. I'm not sure, you yeah. know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he will go out of his way to make somebody feel comfortable that he senses. Is not feeling comfortable, yeah. And I have, I have that ability to, you know. And and to when I feel like because I've been there, I lost my sister, yeah. Um, and seven years ago, we almost lost my well, almost lost my dad again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's almost died on us two or three times because of health issues, yeah. and he's still around, you know. I tell people I get the um, i got his his tenacity to his stick to it or whatever you know yeah. uh, to um to survive and um so i can sense when somebody just is not at their best and i i try you know i try to um go and Help them out and comfort them and stuff like that. sometimes they accept it, and sometimes they don't, yeah, and that's you know that's the way it is
0: no, oh, and i and I love that that you brought that up that sometimes they don't, and that's okay too, you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. we don't have to take those kind of things personally, so I love that you tied right. that in and so in your story, you mentioned that you know, after the school thing after finding out at college that your grades weren't where they need to be for nursing, did a little bit of business, but then ended up transitioning out of that. Mm -hmm. Then you got married Mm -hmm. and then two years later you had your daughter. Yes. Okay, great. Yes. And it
1: took us a while to have her. Mm -hmm. Um, And before, before I met my husband, I actually was pursuing a little bit more medicine Mm -hmm. um i was a volunteer emt for a little bit and i took emt training yeah um but again it was a lot of memorization Mm -hmm. and it was just um i did not have the practical knowledge if i'd had the practical knowledge i could have done better Yeah. But just trying to memorize and not being able to work hands on with it. Um, I took the course, but did not finish or or I tested and did not do well on the test or whatever. And I realized then that, you know, um, this might not be the best thing. For me, And like I say, then I met my husband, and they, we got married. And it did take us two years um, to have my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's the joy of our life. But after her, I couldn't conceive again.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, went to the doctors and was tested and all kinds of stuff. And they said, nothing's wrong with you. You're fine. You're fine. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well... There are some symptoms that are telling me it's not okay. Yeah. But I didn't really do any research. I just listened to the doctors because that's what I'd been trained. And um, we didn't realize until she was five that she was going to be an only child. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to adopt, but my husband was not interested. A year ago, he said, maybe we could adopt now. (laughs) 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 been there done that no 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 no. I'm all I'm all done yeah (laughs) so um anyway yeah um that that in itself was a challenge too because I can remember when she was about seven years old being involved in a group of church women mm-hmm. that, um, the one already had like four kids and she made the comment that she had looked at the list of all the church women that, um, that were pregnant at the mm-hmm. time and she felt left out. Mm-hmm. So she got pregnant with number five
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. You don't even know what it's like to feel left out mm-hmm. no matter how hard I try I can't get pregnant mm-hmm. you know so um that has given me compassion for those <sighs> for those women who have never conceived at all at least I've conceived once you know and yeah. and God blessed me with um with a pregnancy that most women would um they dream about because I didn't have the morning sickness. I didn't have all the issues. You know, Mm -hmm. the hardest thing for me because of my size was the birth process. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's here. Mm -hmm. God's blessed us with her. Um, And she's blessed us with three awesome grandkids and um, get to be 11 miles away from them and help out quite a bit with them and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know? So, um, yeah, God's yeah. really blessed us.
0: Oh, that's great. I mean, I'm, a, I'm amazed by just even what you highlighted of walking through that, because I can imagine that that's difficult news to hear that there's nothing wrong, but then it's still not happening. Right. And so what was your journey like in that of like, what did that acceptance look like in being able to walk through that we're probably not gonna have any more kids.
1: Um it was not easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again it's you can't you can't keep yourself stuck in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I cried many nights. And when that um when that lady said that she felt left out, I cried quite a bit. Yeah. And I told my husband, I said, "I bet you she hasn't even had a broken fingernail, so how could she know? Yeah. <laughs> you know um yeah, I did have you know we did have conversations about that um, and we honestly did go to one place um, and try to see about starting the process he Mm -hmm. actually said okay let's go visit a children's home and um it was a religious children's home and see well at that time he was dealing with his own issues of what was going on in church and so he had dropped out yeah and so they wouldn't even let us come into their office when they heard that he had dropped out of church Mm. But yet, um, they had several families that had adopted and then either abused the child, or they had divorced, and so the child was left—you know—one parent or the other. And part of their part of their adoption process was that it has to be two parents that are in the church regularly and serving. And all this stuff, you know, and we're like, we would love that child like our own.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But you've got these prerequisites, and these other adoptive families that have gone through you, they haven't even stayed together, or they're not even serving, or they're abusing the child. You know, and it, the child is worse off now. So those were those were some hard things for us to... Um, deal with especially for me because I wanted I I wanted four children yeah you know I came from a home of three surviving children Mm -hmm. and um there's five years between my brother and I and nine years between my sister and I so there was quite a bit of difference and um they they were more closer at the time Mm -hmm. um my sister and I have been become more close over the last couple of years now. Yeah. And um my brother is kind of off on his own, you yeah. know. <laughs> but um, at the time they were closer and when I left home after high school, that gave them the opportunity to be even more cl- to become closer even then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. So, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, but for you there there did come a point of just not wanting to be stuck anymore and and that acceptance of and accepting the blessing of what you had Mm
2: -hmm. and I can imagine
0: that it's hard when you're in pain or when you're aware of your pain and Mm -hmm. then to hear someone else say something that can feel like a like a slap right especially when we're experiencing our own in inner things.
1: Right. Right. Well, and then when you hear your only child say, I wish I had a brother or sister,
2: yeah, you know, and you're
1: like, um, and you don't want to make them mad at God, you know, but, um, it's yeah, yeah. but we got through it and she understands it and she appreciates us and, yeah. and what we did try to do. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the for, like you know you're raising your child
0: and then there is a part of your story that is somewhat more recent of just some medical things that you've experienced so when did that begin for you when did the diagnosis
1: okay come so um in 2000 um we had we had moved to savannah for the military mm-hmm. And um, then my husband got out and took a job in 2000 Mm -hmm. in Washington, D.C., and um, we had not really made too many connections in the area in Savannah, and so... And we were so excited to get out of here and get Mm -hmm. away from the sand gnats. Yeah. And and I had lived in Biloxi, Mississippi for five years. And, you know, my attitude was the South is so behind, Mm -hmm. so behind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when we moved here to go to for him to be stationed at Fort Stewart, I was like, yep, they're still behind. Um. But anyways, so he was in for five years. Um, he'd been in the military for five years, then got out for five, and then we came here, and he was in for five more, and then he got out and went Air National Guard. And, um, and it, his Air National Guard was part-time, and so he needed to find full-time positions. So he found a job in Washington, D.C., and so um, we moved to Washington, D.C.,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and could not get connected there either. And nine months later, he found his dream job back at Fort Stewart. And so we moved back. (laughs) We had just unpacked the very last box. (laughs) Oh no! and then we had to go scrounging for yeah. new boxes because we we moved ourselves
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so we scrounged for new boxes and I always told them I said if we ever move back we're moving to Richmond Hill
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we did and um but while we were in DC I felt a lump
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I was like uh no no it's not nope nope It's not. I'm in denial. Nope, nope, nope. Cancer is my deepest fear because all I knew was people got diagnosed and they died. They got diagnosed and they died. And so I was like, nope, nope. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. But it hurt. And I found that the more, for me, the more chocolate I ate and the more sugar I ate, the more it grew and the more more it hurt. Mm. But when I cut those out, then it didn't hurt as much, and it didn't seem to grow. I am not real crazy about searching for doctors. Mm. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to wait. And we had met a doctor. My daughter had gone in for a checkup. She was 16 at the time. And she'd gone in for checkup and I had gone in for with her and um the doctor wanted to put her on birth control and I'm like, number one, we are homeschooling and I know where she is, twenty four seven. And you are not putting her on birth control just in case. Yeah. Oh. But that's what he wanted to do, you mm-hmm. know, and then he didn't want me in the appointment with her, and I'm like, mm-hmm. No, I am the mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I pay her bills. And so I said, nah, nah, we're not going to search for a doctor. And there was a doctor back in Savannah that I had wanted to go to, but she was always, always full, um, always booked up. And so we finally came back and we we came back just for, just before 9-11 happened mm. And I was like, "That day of nine eleven, I was like, ah, cause my brother and his family had just moved there. Yeah, come to find out my sister had was supposed to have had meetings in the Pentagon." in that very same area where the plane hit if she had been there 30 30 minutes earlier but she'd gotten delayed if she'd been there 30 minutes earlier she would have been part of the casualties probably you know so that and then the friendships that we had made I was like ah you know but anyways um so yeah that's when we came back and we um moved into a house in Richmond Hill, and then I got an appointment with the doctor that I had been wanting to um, go to, and she confirmed it was breast cancer. So, um, you know, I got scheduled for all the appointments with the oncologist and the radiologist and stuff like that, and and um, went in and had a lumpectomy, and, um, They told me afterwards that it was stage two. Mm -hmm. And after the surgery, the surgeon says, by the way, we took out two of the three layers of lymph nodes underneath your arm. And in the process of getting to the one layer, we clipped a nerve because it was in the way.
3: Mm.
1: So um, that was 2001. I have been numb from here to here for 19 years now. And I can get an itch. Think about having Novocaine in your jaw Mm. forever, and it never goes away. That's basically how my arm feels. And if I hadn't realized what the lymph nodes were all about, how they help to regulate body temperature, and they are our first line of defense for getting rid of toxins, I would have requested that they not touch them but then also at that time I was of the opinion because I'd been programmed this way I was of the opinion that the doctors knew best yeah so I was doing whatever mm-hmm. but um and then they they um wanted me to do the chemo and the radiation but my gut was just telling me there has to be something different and I had met people throughout my life who had had to turn to alternatives um, to heal Mm -hmm. um, because conventional was not helping them. Now, and I want to say a disclaimer right now, too. I know people on both sides of the issue, okay? I have an aunt who um, was diagnosed with cancer twice, Mm -hmm. did the chemo and the radiation both times, and believes that it absolutely saved her life but she also had a major stroke the second time around and is in a wheelchair now and has equilibrium problems and memory problems and stuff like that too. Her sister, on the other hand, like I say, this aunt believes that it saved her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and their aunt. she's my aunt by marriage. Her sister, on the other hand, was diagnosed um, not too long after she was and did the chemo and the radiation. and died from it all. Yeah. You know, um and then I know people that have what I chose to do. And this is why I'm getting to this. Yeah. What I chose to do was refuse the chemo and the radiation. Mm-hmm. And I know people on that side too who have been on their deathbeds.
2: Yeah.
1: And um I brought these books because um Larry Burkett who was um the founder of Crown Financial Ministries that a lot of churches used before Dave Ramsey came on the scene. But Larry Burkett um, was diagnosed with stage four, a rare form of kidney cancer, stage four. Um, And at the time that he was diagnosed... Four other men in his area in Gainesville, Georgia, were diagnosed at the same time. They all did the conventional stuff, and his doctor told him that those things wouldn't help him, so he just needed to go home and, and um, prepare to die. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I don't think so. So he did research, and he wrote the two books, um, Hope When It Hurts and Nothing to Fear, and those were my go-to for the next 10 years and I learned a lot from him and I refused the chemo and the radiation. The um, doctor and the oncologist sent me certified letters telling me that if I did not um, go their route, I would be dead in five years. Mm. Um, They also sent a certified letter to my primary care physician, who thankfully stood up for me and um, said she's an adult, she can make her own decision yeah. And I just let everybody know, you know, they told me that I should be dead and in the grave um, within five years. And I'm celebrating 15 years past
3: yeah. their prediction,
1: you know, so but it's all been God's story through yeah. me. There's like I say, um, you know, the the song oceans, mm-hmm. um, you call me out upon the water. I am not a swimmer. I am not a swimmer. If I can see the bottom, I'll go, but I'll only go to like four feet. Mm -hmm. I am not a swimmer. And God, through this, has taken me into the ocean where my feet cannot touch and I can't see the bottom, and I've had to lean totally on him, totally on him. And um, he's been my strength My husband and daughter, thankfully, have been my support system, and my parents as well. Other than that, um, I didn't have a support system. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's been a journey as well, getting through that. And um, God is really helping me to heal from that. And from the bullying and things that went on during that time frame, the, the um, you know I I can remember, this is part of what what played into my low self esteem too was hearing from people that I thought were my friends say that they'd gotten together and gone and done something mm-hmm. together, something fun that I would have enjoyed doing. Yeah, and I'm like. Well, what happened with me?
2: Yeah.
1: What's wrong with me? How come I didn't get invited type of thing, you know? So um, that's been a struggle. But um, this COVID thing has been an awesome thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not one. I did not quarantine, okay? Um, but it it helped me to... Um, really see who my real friends were and to see, to go through some of these thought processes that I've had and some of the hurts that I've had from the bullying and, and isolation and stuff like that. And, you know, when I was a teenager, my senior year, the prophet Daniel became my favorite Bible character. Yeah. And I'm like, who chooses the prophet Daniel, mm-hmm. especially a teenager, yeah. to be their fiv- favorite Bible character? But the reason he was because he chose not to defile himself when he was taken into captivity. Daniel eight says he chose not to defile himself. And I'm like, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. And I now realize that through all of this, I have become a Daniel. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people ask me, like I say, I've had um, church people ask me, when is the church going to let you stand up and share your story? Because there might be somebody out there that just got diagnosed, and maybe they need to hear your story. You know, I was told one time that um, I had an attitude of my way or no way Mm. by church people. And I'm like, seriously? Seriously? The doctors told me that surgery, chemo, and radiation was my only option. They didn't share with me any other options. And Jesus says, I'm the only way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, But you know what, too? Within 48 hours of that person telling me that I had an attitude of my way or no way, God started broadening the platform that he had for me to the point where he allowed me to open up a small cafe for six months, which helped to catapult me. Mm -hmm. Um, He asked me to be his hands, feet, and mouth for a -a one-of-a-kind nonprofit, at least at that time, Um, that I am the CEO, I'm unpaid, we don't have any kind of income. Yeah, that's been another struggle is getting people to donate to us. You know, they want free information, but they don't want to donate uh, um, to help us keep our website going, or just um, just even speaker visits. Yeah, you know, they don't even want to help out with expenses f- for that. So that's been another challenge. But. Um, it was such a blessing because it finally gave me the support system that I needed. And it was a support system for me, but it was also a support system for other people. And we, um, for about four years, hosted in our home um, a weekly wellness group. Yeah. And we had um, a core of seven people that were there all the time And um, let me get a drink real quick. No, you're fine. Um, Four of those we still Zoom with every other week.
3: Oh, that's
1: fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, like I say, God is, the COVID thing just really helped me to go through a lot of healing and a lot of, um, mind um, st- what do you call it um, mentality mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how my mind was thinking and stuff because you know I did get bullied really bad and um, that sent me downward spiraling and it's taken me two years to get to this point point. and I've told people you know I've said if I had been invited to come on this program a year ago I would have come on with boxing gloves. Yeah. And it would not have been a pretty sight. But um, God has really given me some healing and brought people into my life. I now have a support system that I feel like I can actually depend on and call on. Whereas before, you know, we were in a, when I was initially diagnosed and had the um, surgery, because I've had two surgeries, that's another story um initially our small group leader lived across the street from us and they offered to make us meals but when i told them that i was going to be eating more plant-based and cutting out all the processed foods and stuff they disappeared
3: yeah
1: and we didn't even get help with groceries nobody came over to even say hey Let me learn a new recipe with you. You know, it was all on me. And thankfully, I was not a sick person. Um, Thankfully, I had all the energy and the strength, you know. I did tell my husband and daughter that you either eat what I make (laughs) (laughs) or you go buy your own food and make it yourself and they chose to eat what mom you know as long as they were at the house they ate what mom ate yeah um or what mom made and so you know and it was different for me too i had to learn a lot um but i'm so thankful for it and um yeah but but Yeah, they didn't even offer to help get groceries or anything like that. You know, my husband ended up having to leave town and become a contractor. He was in Iraq and Kuwait for a year and a half Mm. while I was here. And my daughter became my caretaker, basically. Um, But like I say, most of the time I wasn't. Now, the second time around was five years later, and it was because all of all of it was up here in my head and my husband says that the longest road a journey, the longest road a person can take is from their head to their heart yeah and without any support and I'm in business for myself and it's always surrounding food and I went to one meeting and paid $15 for a plate of lettuce with one little tangerine on top that came out of a can and that was the vegan meal at that time and I'm like I paid $15 for this mm-hmm. where did you learn your cooking skills and um I I was asking you know hey I won't be able to eat is there a no food fee and I was told no you pay full price whether you eat or not and I'm like I can't afford that you know yeah. so um so I would drop out of those Kind of things, but it just got me to thinking, you know, well, that person had cancer. How come they can eat that? And I can't. That person did that. How come this? You know, so I started comparing myself. Yeah. And the Bible tells us not to do that because mm-hmm. we get ourselves in trouble. So I went back into my old ways and um, got re-diagnosed. Mm. And I was working on healing it myself and then um, detox too fast and it actually went to, um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, to a facility out there that had great reviews, but um, they they couldn't figure out what was going on in my lower back, which is um, where I was having issues at, and um, they wanted to do, to do a mastectomy because they were more concerned about the second tumor up here than what was happening, and I was keeping that tumor under control. And it, you know, was finally in my heart. This is my wake-up call. God's waking me up to do what he asked me to do. And so um, I let them do the mastectomy. And a year ago, I had a person tell me, well, you just need to go get over cancer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, Seriously? when you're numb from here to here for 19 years and you have this big zipper on your, is what I call it, on your chest, you know, that um, reminds you. Um, there, there is, de- there is minute by minute feelings there that remind me of what I've gone through yeah. and what happened and stuff, you know, and then the doctors wanted to do radiation on my lower back just in case mm-hmm. without knowing what was going on. And I said, no, I don't think so. I don't do any just in case. Mm -hmm. And then I found a a holistic doctor who had been an orthopedic surgeon for 17 years herself and then contracted or had um, ovarian and uterine cancers to a year apart from each other, did what she was trained in and almost died and then became um, holistic And Larry Burkett his books helped her, and she was in direct contact with him personally. And um, she was my support system for four years. I would drive eight hours to her office in Virginia mm. and out-of-pocket pay her expenses, out-of-pocket stay in a hotel, out-of-pocket get my own groceries and make my own meals and stuff like that, you know. But she understood me. Mm-hmm and I could just go and pour my heart out to her. And I didn't have to feel like I was going to be rebuked or, well, just read your Bible and pray or something like that. You know, She understood where I was coming from, and that's what I had been looking for for so long. And I I tell people it's kind of like I have a friend that went over to another country to adopt a child, and she and her husband were the only Americans there and they ended up having to stay longer than they intended and she goes aren't there any other americans here all i want to do is just talk to somebody in my own language
2: yeah
1: and i'm like hello that yeah. was me i just wanted to talk to somebody in my own language but at that time there wasn't except for this doctor that i had to drive 8 hours to see and stuff you know and, and um i had to stay a minimum of 2 weeks Mm. Two weeks to 20 days yeah. to for her appointments um, twice a year, you know. So but anyways, she helped me with a lot of healing too and stuff. But then, you know, in, in between there's been a lot of things happening too um, as far as the bullying and people just not understanding and not even trying, not even trying, you know. And they think they know me, but they really haven't spent time with me. Mm -hmm. So how can you know a person if you really haven't spent time? You know, yeah, you're in choir together, or yeah, you're in Sunday school together, Um, or yeah, you've gone on a short-term mission trip together, but you came back and you didn't even have anything to do with that person, you know? That's not getting to know anybody. You have to spend one-on-one time, multiple times, to really get to know them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but like I say, you know, God's really done some great healing, um, some great healing. Yeah.
0: No, and I am both, you know, very sorry for the pain that you've experienced from the hands of others, um, but also very excited for your healing journey. And I'm glad that that's happening for you because I do think that when we don't understand something, human beings have a tendency to put things in a box or dehumanize. Like when you hear the word alternative, whatever words come to your mind comes to your mind. But I think that you, the point you just brought up is spot on of if you don't know the person, then you're at risk of dehumanizing them or assuming. Yes. If you hear the word vegan and you have all these assumptions or negative assumptions, but you haven't talked to this person or got to know them or understand where they're coming from, or even taking the time to understand. Yes. Then you've missed it. Yeah. You've kind of made a bunch of assumptions and you're living off of those assumptions. And maybe you're right. Who knows? I mean, I think sometimes, but there's always a hundred different things that things could be. Right. So by living off of an assumption. So just so much of what you talked about are seemingly little moments that were really big.
1: Yes. You know, like
0: we can have that thought of if somebody is sick and or if they've experienced a loss or if they've just had a baby or whatever's happening in their life. And maybe you get a notification for a meal train and you just think, well, yeah, but that little no, that Mm -hmm. thing that you thought was a little no was actually really big. So for you going through this journey and not feeling loved or seen or reached out to like you're buying your own food and clean eating is not cheap. And so you're, you're making all of these lifestyle changes, but people are pulling away and who knows, maybe it was the assumptions they had in their head, or maybe it was just thinking that it's fine. Like they'll figure it out. But even those things, those little things are big moments to people opening up a door, asking how you're doing, sitting across from somebody, all those things that you're highlighting Mm -hmm. are moments that really matter. And they leave big, like they're little cuts that, mount up because it doesn't sound like in your journey that not having a meal was the thing that hurt it was not having a meal not being reached out to doing this on your own being bullied all of those little cuts turned into a big old wound that now two years in you're you're still kind of healing or you've taken these two years to really heal
2: right from those things well
1: and and you know i've always been an open book yeah but i have learned throughout everything that i have gone through um, people, I had one person say, well, oh, I guess I didn't see your vulnerability mm. because I come across to people as just a happy-go-lucky, easy-going person that has no problems. Mm. And um, in fact, when we first moved to the Savannah area um, initially, neighbors didn't want to get to know us because they thought either we were the chaplain's family Mm-hmm. And that intimidated them. Or we were CID, Criminal Investigation <laughs> Division with the Army. Yeah. And we were neither. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my husband was a, um E-4 in artillery. We were neither. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so they just assume by looking at us that we're something different. And so most people, I don't think, and that's why this is called Stealth Journey. Yeah. Um, because most people, I flew under the radar Mm -hmm. and most people were clueless because I've got this happy go lucky kind of, um, look to me and stuff like that. You know, I've told people I was suicidal at one point. I I thought about running my vehicle over the bypass that goes over 17, the I-95 bypass that goes over 17 in Richmond Hill because I lived right around the corner from there. I thought about running my vehicle over a couple of times because of what I was going through and because I didn't have anybody speaking my language that I could go to that that wasn't ridiculing me or telling me, well everybody's got problems you know yeah. just deal with it type of thing um i had no support system and my husband and daughter were there as long as it makes mom happy <laughs> you know but my husband 13 years later ended up having his own health issues and now he's 100 percent on board and our daughter is um leaning this way yeah. <laughs> uh, her husband's not really on board but he's you know he's supportive yeah no
0: so the one thing i did want to point out before we get, uh, ask you about your book and where to mm-hmm. get it but um i love that last part of like you can be supportive and not like maybe you don't agree but you can still be supportive and i love what you just brought up there is that Maybe I don't agree with your decision to do chemo or maybe I don't agree with your decision to do alternative or maybe I don't agree with your decision to do fertility or to adopt or to not adopt. Like maybe I don't agree with you, Mm -hmm. but I can still support you and love you and be there. And I can still take the time to get to know you, me making a choice to not reach out and then still not be in your life and in your sphere isn't mm-hmm. helpful at all. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's painful. And that is received pain. Like right. that registers as pain. So I like that you brought that up. Right. But, well, know, and,
1: and one thing I want to say too mm-hmm. is that, you know, initially when this all started, um, I, you know, I, I was like, hey, it's your life, whatever you choose to do. And I'm still pretty much that way. You can ask any of the people that have been in our weekly wellness group and that are still with us. I have, you know, Um, there are some organizations that will tell you this is the only way that you are going to get healed. And I have learned over my journey that we're all different and everybody's body heals a little bit differently. And my husband is doing um, meat products. My body does not, it does not digest meat products very well at all and causes issues. And so I can't do that. Hey, you know what, it's fine. It's fine, and I'm like that, but people have had the attitude that, you know, like the person, you've got an attitude of my way or no way. Well, I have tried reaching out and helping people and taking meals or whatever, and then found out that the meals were thrown in the trash. Or for a potluck, I would bring something that I'm really excited about that I think is really good tasting. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, it's good tasting. But then I find that people put it on their plates and then it goes in the trash. And I'm like, I can't afford to be making stuff and have it go in the trash. You go over to other countries on short-term mission trips, you try their foods, right? Right? What's the difference? Mm. This is, you know, mine. Mine. Mine is actually back to what our ancestors used to use. <laughs> it's just that the taste buds, <clears throat> excuse me, the taste buds have gotten so warped yeah. by today's food that what our ancestors used to eat, um, that I'm now eating, is too foreign to most people. Yeah. But people are waking up to that, too, so yeah. Yeah, no, but I think that that's still, I think that
0: what you're pointing out are so many things that, that again, might seem like it doesn't matter, but it still can be painful and, and hurtful. Um, so your book, you're, you've mentioned is named Stealth Journey. Um, yes. Where can people get it if they were interested in reading it?
1: Okay, it's um, called Stealth Journey, An Uncommon Fight Against Cancer, Fear, Tradition, and Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> It used to be on Amazon, but I took it off because um, it wasn't selling very well. Um, like I say, I'm not the most popular person. <laughs> you know, it wasn't selling very well, and Amazon takes 22%. Mm. I only charge 14.95, mm-hmm. and when you take 22% and then my publisher takes another percentage, yeah. that's not very much. Mm-hmm. I sell more of them um, in person fact i was at an event last weekend and sold three (laughs) right on the spot and i didn't even have them out there people i was just connecting with people and they would hear about it and they go i want a book i want a book and the one person ended up Um, buying three of them on the spot and then I also when it's on Amazon you don't get a personal signature from me Mm -hmm. and a personal note from me and so I do that so they can get it through me Um, our website um, victoryhaven.org has a link that you can go to or you can email me um, Naomi in A O M I dot victory v i c t o r y haven h a v e n cafe at gmail thank you so, <laughs> <laughs> and like i say it's fourteen ninety five but there is um shipping as well and it's usually about five dollars shipping
0: yeah no thank you for giving that information mm-hmm. um i've really appreciated everything that you've shared you you have mentioned um some bullying so i did want to touch on that before Mm -hmm. we closed and so a lot of the bullying that you've experienced um what helped you deal with the bullying between making the decision to be like have an alternative treatment but then also a
1: vegan lifestyle what helped you in that bullying god Mm -hmm. that's the only thing i can say um, he has been my best friend from day one.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I became a Christian at the age of five, um, and a lot of it was because of my sister Sharon and her short life and stuff like that. You know, um, and then I I had to reevaluate that as a twenty-something-year-old. Um, but he has always been my best friend, and that's the only way that I can figure that I got through the bullying. Um, my parents being supportive um, was a good thing too. But then, just recently, I've worked with a um, business coach, and she's really helped me. Um, I did. I did actually at one point um, two years ago. I had to start what I call a thankful board. <laughs> And um, it was right around Thanksgiving, so the first ones were in Thanksgiving colors and pumpkins. But it's got pictures of people that, um, who have had ears to hear. And that's the Bible verse on it is Matthew eleven fifteen, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And so I've got several of these uh, multiple pages, and they're posted in prominent areas in my house so that I can see them one of them is specifically in the bathroom at the sink you know so I can see those and it helps my mindset and it helps me because I can get focused on the negative really easy and I think that's what most of us are but this helps me to remember you know what like this one was a nurse that we met randomly at a restaurant And I say that she was an angel sent by God because I needed her inspiration and her hug. We've never met before, never met again. But um, she understood what I was going through. And she says, you know, I'm a nurse. I see this all the time. And I believe in what you're doing. And just to have somebody say, I believe in what you're doing. You know, I knew in my heart that I'm following what God said. Mm -hmm. And knowing that I'm a Daniel and that Daniel has been my favorite Bible character, that has helped me a lot, too. But, you know, I've had to do things like this. And now God is surrounding me with amazing people that are encouraging. Not all of them are Christians. Mm -hmm. but um, And it's sad that a lot of non-Christians are more in tune with this kind of thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, I was, um, I was called the weaker vessel at one point oh, wow. because I only eat fruits and vegetables. And I'm like, seriously? You have no clue how much strength it has to take to go, especially when you grow up in a family like mine that's been military all our lives. And um, my dad's sister married an Italian straight from Italy and our background is German and Polish. And, you know, we've got Italian and all this other stuff. And we, (laughs) I absolutely love eating international foods. And when I first started this, the hardest thing for me to give up was the Springerly cookies from Germany and their little... Um, they're little bread cookie type things that have pictures on them, and they mm-hmm. only come out at Christmas time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And my mom had made those forever, and I grew up on them, and that was my favorite thing. And Christmas was not Christmas anymore without those, and I cried my eyes oh. out for three years, you know? you know. But then I finally realized, hey, when it's got a pound of sugar in it and a pound of butter, those are not healthy for me. Yeah. And so I had to let go of it. Um and that's been part of it too is just learning how to let go and find things to replace it with. Yeah. So I no. haven't found anything to replace the sprinkler. <laughs> well, I hope that you do. <laughs> I hope that you do because they sound amazing.
0: And I love your thankful board. Like that is amazing and I love the 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 thought of like having Ebenezer's of taking those snapshots and putting them somewhere where you can see them like I love that idea mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. giving yourself those reminders. And I really appreciate you coming and sitting down and sharing with me. I it it touches my heart in such a big way to to hear your story, but then also to to hear like how you're healing and the things that you found that have been helpful for you. But it's also just such a reminder to me and I hope to anyone listening just of how important it is. That we watch our words, that even if you're joking or if you're mm-hmm. being sarcastic, you could be hurting someone's feelings. You could yeah. actually be hurting them. I had um, one, you have no idea.
1: One person who supposedly was very supportive of me called me strange and weird mm-hmm. within a five minute time period because I was eating something that my body could handle and I was eating it cold. It was a. a soup type of a thing and I was eating it cold, well, you're strange. You're mm-hmm. weird. And mm-hmm. it's like that was one of the times when I was considering suicide.
2: Mm.
1: Oh gosh. You know, and you just never know. You don't, yeah. When you don't know, especially when you don't sit down and you don't get to really know. That person had never spent one on one time with me. Yeah. And so they had no yeah.
0: No, mm-hmm. that 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 is I'm glad that you share that. Thank you for sharing that with us. And so each time we end the podcast, we ask for our guests to give a
1: challenge. So what would your challenge be to the listeners? My challenge is to be open. Um, Like I say, you know, if you go to another country, you're open to um, their customs. You're open to trying their foods. So why not be open to somebody like me who's, who's taking a little bit different of a journey? And um, be open to try their foods. I've actually got something down here for you guys that I made that my son-in-law, who's not into this, he says, you are bringing this every Thanksgiving, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it just, you know, um, try it. You might like it. And then be careful with your words. Yeah. You know, get to know the person. Um, really on a one-on-one basis do things with them you might find that they like some of the same things you like and you may you know you may really be surprised don't just think that you know them because you sit across from them or you stand next to them in choir or whatever you know don't think that um my husband and I had to get to and know each other, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, just be open to those kind of things. Be, be open to learning something new, yeah. learning something new, and I think that's what a lot of it is, is that we are, we are afraid of stuff that we don't understand. Yeah. And that's where I was. I was afraid of cancer before I started researching it and before I started hearing of actual doctors saying hey there's nothing to be afraid of you know i started understanding what i was what i was up against and now cancer doesn't scare me not one bit no. so
0: no thank you so much for sharing that and i love the challenge that you gave and i really appreciate you taking out time to talk to us and well,
1: so I appreciate you guys allowing me to
0: do this. Thank you. Absolutely. So we'll catch you next time. Listeners, thanks for listening. Bye.